brought to you by Crimson Colt Media. We've got you now. No turning back. Welcome to Moths to the Flame. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back, my darklings. This is the second chapter of Crimson Cobblestones, our serialized reading of my first novel, The Book of My Heart, and um, my first dabble into adult horror writing. So here we go, second chapter, A Meeting of Chance. Charlotte peered out the lone window of the library. This day, like so many others in Philadelphia, was weighted by the wool blankets of the sky. Heavy, thick, oppressive. Too often those days matched her dreary mood. But today would be different. She was sure of it. The striking clock in the state house tower told, signaling the top of the hour. An opportunity for change. Charlotte opened the door of the tiny book haven nestled within the building and smiled as the children from her weekly reading hour spilled into the hallway, running into the arms of their mothers. So sweet an embrace, that of a mother and child, one she hadn't known for too many years, not since mother was stolen from them. She stowed away the book they'd been reading, its musty pages a comfort to her. Books were a refuge, a way to distract herself from the gnawing hole in her heart. Charlotte pulled in a steadying breath. It was time to meet her best friend Priya. She'd promised, after all. Father and Priya were always hatching schemes to get her out of the house. The purchase of a new dress was their latest plot. Evidently, her current attire was only a step beyond rags, as Father had pointed out, and he had cobbled together enough coin to change that. Certainly, her clothes were worn, but new silks would hardly be enough to entice new suitors. Even the finest silks couldn't hide the turmoil within, her anxious thoughts and constant fears. But today, she was going to try to be less gloomy, to put on a cheerful front. In addition to a new chisel and flowers for Mother's grave, she might even try on those leather shoes she'd seen last week, the ones with the golden braid and wooden soles. Perhaps she'd find marigolds, as those were Mother's favorite. We must pattern ourselves after the marigolds, Charlotte, she'd say to her. When you plant marigolds in the garden, it helps the other plants to flourish and grow. Grow, serve, avoid extremes in all things. Lesson after lesson Mother had given her about the deeper meanings in life and how important an inquisitive mind was to raise consciousness. One must better themselves in order to assist other flowers to bloom. Charlotte had never forgotten. Passing by the council's chamber, she recoiled at the sight of the man whom many admired, but not her. Time slowed, stretching and crawling and creeping as Charlotte focused on his figure. Seconds turned to minutes. She couldn't move, couldn't breathe. Memories of that terrible time when Mother died came welling back. Mayor Richard Payne, back-turned, blocked her way. He was a brilliant man, one well-revered in the Philadelphia colony as a visionary. Yet the way he inserted himself into everyone's lives made her skin crawl. He was unsightly and stank of sweat and musk. A disheveled wig sat lopsided on his balding head. Charlotte bristled, stealing herself. It was supposed to be a good day. She had prayed it would be. She lowered her gaze and rushed past, hoping he wouldn't notice her as she slipped by. Please, no idle chatter, no comments about growing beauty nor comparisons to mother. Charlotte quickened her steps to get past him and avoid his queries as to why she had yet to bear children of her own. 
She chanced a sidelong glance. Sweat collected on the man's wrinkled brow as he turned toward her, the expression of his swollen features truly vexed. Whatever words of concern he and Minister Horvath whispered to each other were of a pressing matter and kept the two men distracted enough to leave her alone. She swept through the great canyon of the State House hallway, her fingers closing around the cool iron door latch. The town square greeted her with its usual bustle of boisterous shouting in all varieties of smells, from the delectable to the revolting. Traders set out their wares, hawking mirrors, silver-plated utensils, and bed linens, curious clocks, books, and tea services. One riskier fellow even sold illegal wigs in the street. Alas, most of the goods were imported from England, none of which would appeal to her hardened father. Worldly possessions meant little to him, other than mother's. For now, having bypassed the mayor's insidious gaze, she was ready to be swept along with the mid-morning crowd in their chaos. A young family passing by, the strapping father arm in arm with his beautiful wife and two curly-haired daughters in tow, warmed her restless heart. What joy to have a confidant to stave off the darkness and children to brighten each day with laughter. How she craved a companion's love. But true companionship was hard to come by. Finding the elusive one seemed impossible among the ill-intentioned. She made sure to distance herself from such people, avoiding the walnut trees, as Mother had called them. Walnut trees were problematic for anything that tried to grow near them, their invasive roots spreading a toxic influence. Her grin faded. What her life could have been if Mother had lived, had she been there to mold her, teach her, to help her understand why the emotions of others consumed her. At last, the sun decided to grace them with its presence, peeking out from behind the clouds, flirting, flirting with the townsfolk, whispering of warmth, warmth, and yet remaining concealed. Charlotte understood why the sun would want to hide from this town, but alas, she could not hide from it herself. It was time to find Priya. While a lively square was not altogether unusual on a Saturday morn, the crowd that swelled near the east end that faced the river was. People gathered around the bake shop, where the friendly baker always saved her a sweet biscuit on library days. Cursed with the ability to tune into the emotions of others, for better or for worse, she could feel a rumble of displeasure. Her breath froze in her throat. Walk away. There is trouble here. Head home and visit the square on Monday. Yet, even with the warning that pulsed inside her head, curiosity pushed her forward. She saw the blacksmith's wife clutch her daughter's hand and half drag the child toward their shop, brow furrowed as she shuffled away. Lottie, there you are. Priya danced through the crowd toward her, her golden skin much like the buttery light that bathed the forest on a midsummer's day. How are the children today? Are you ready to shop? Charlotte embraced her dearest friend, her heartbeat steadying and clenched jaw relaxing in her perfumed presence. Priya, her closest confidant since they first met in finishing school always gave her solace. They were wonderful. We are reading one of my favorites. She held out the book she'd borrowed from the library, Beauty and the Beast. Priya, her gleaming black hair arranged in elaborate braids, was, as usual, dressed as if attending a ball. She tilted her head and raised a questioning eyebrow. That sounds a curious tale. Why should a beauty take interest in a beast? It certainly doesn't seem appropriate for children. Charlotte rolled her eyes. She loved her friend, but sometimes her lack of literary curiosity was irksome. But she did not judge her for it. Priya always managed to maintain an air of amusement, of merriment. Given her circumstances, her early life as a foundling, 
It was nothing short of miraculous. Charlotte grinned. It's much more than that. It's a love story between a man with compli- It's a love story between a woman with complicated dreams and a cursed prince. By the end, it reveals that the huntsman, who some thought was the town hero, was actually the villain, and the cursed prince is good. I see your point. First impressions, Priya nodded. They told us many stories in the orphanage. Have you heard of the three princes of Serendip? One of my favorites. Charlotte shook her head and smiled. Priya never ceased to amaze her. Perhaps stories of the East Indies are beyond the understandings of Americans. She winked, eyes glowing with mischief. Charlotte feigned indignance, then laughed. Sharing rye grins, the two friends linked arms and rounded the corner into Queen Village. They were an odd pair, the wheelwright's moody daughter and the captain's adoptive one, but the town had grown accustomed to them. Together they headed toward the preferred shops for elegant assortments of the most fashionable millinery goods. Millinery goods. On her father's captain's salary, Priya could afford the finer things these shops had to offer. Colorful window displays adorned the front of the buildings. They were large structures built specifically to house the shops. She spotted glassware, dry goods, and the cobbler shop where she could find those new shoes. Priya turned from looking at the buttons and thread in the hyperdusher's window and gestured across the street to the three imposing figures walking among the crowd. Oh, look! It's a me with John Priestley and his friend, Ben Franklin. Don't they look dashing today? Priya lived for social encounters, especially when they were with dapper young men. It was amazing, given her vivacious nature, that they were friends at all. Ami! John! Come say hello to two damsels in distress. So flirtatious Priya was, without a care in the world. Amir Lenevet, or Ami, as she liked to call him. Priya's older brother had clearly heard her shout and wave. Priya and Amir were orphans when Captain Lenevet found them wandering the streets of Calcutta. Starving, hardly beyond the age of toddlers, he'd brought them back to the colonies, where his wife, unable to bear children, took them in as her own. Amir had grown into a handsome bachelor of some, but not prodigious, wealth, while Priya stole more than her fair share of glances. Men went out of their way to speak to her, much to her brother's annoyance. Charlotte groaned. Must we, Priya? Surely her friend could recognize the desperation in her eyes. Oh, don't be so chuffy, Lottie. Allow the attention of handsome men to brighten your dreary day for once. The dashing John Priestley turned their way. Distress! And just how are you in need of assistance on this fine? He glanced at the murky sky. Well, cloudy day. There was too little time for Charlotte to gather herself for the impending conversation. The three men stood before them, the perfect picture of well-polished, finely suited gentlemen, men that silk-clad ladies would throw themselves at. They were handsome, and worse, they knew it. Ben and John opted for the traditional waistcoats and frocks, but Amir stood out among the crowd. People stared, as usual. Unlike Priya, who always chose to follow the latest trends out of London, Amir frequented the shipments of banyans procured by their father. He often sailed for the United Company of Merchants of England, formerly the East India Trading Company. Amir strutted towards them, proud as a peacock, his velvety green robes almost as dazzling as his smile. Charlotte chuckled. Miss Nellie, her housemaid, who was more like a mother to her since losing her own, would refer to these chaps as macaroni, and she wouldn't be wrong. Feathers in their caps, indeed. Dearest Priya, what brings you to town this morning? Come to gossip among your flock of hens? John Priestley's eyes held a roguish glint, and Charlotte sensed they had 
held secrets none would ever know. Oh, John, such nonsense. Your twistical tongue has no doubt learned every detail surrounding the town's latest scandals already. Priya's curtsy was slow and low enough to provide the man with too long of a glance at her bosom. For shame. Amir narrowed his eyes. Well, I have a minimal gossip, but let's not spoil the rest of the morning with such talk, John said. Oh, thank goodness. Do you know my friend Mr. Bryn Franklin, John continued. He's recently returned from abroad, finally finished traipsing about the English countryside in search of something none of us will ever be fancy enough to know, I'm sure. The three friends chuckled. Mr. Franklin rolled his eyes. You're merely envious because the English weren't as fond of your studies. Mr. Priestley cut his eyes for a moment at Mr. Franklin, yet quickly replaced his frown with a grin. He nudged his friend with an elbow. Mr. Franklin, at your service, my ladies, the man said with a sweeping bow. But please, do call me Ben. Charlotte fidgeted as Ben Franklin's gaze landed on her. Not uncomfortably so, but more in the way of curiosity piqued. My ill-witted friend belittles my quest for knowledge and truth in a nonsical adventure, but we'll let him have this one. He flashed them a pearly white smile. Priya straightened to her full height, which was still one head below the young men. Ah, yes, Ben, it's been some time, but we remember you, don't we, Lottie? A half grimace, half smile, and short nod of the head was all Charlotte could muster. Ben seemed to think it funny, as she caught the whisper of a smile just above his chiseled chin. There was no denying he was handsome. We are dress shopping, you see, not letting the day get away from us. Soon we will head for refreshment, Priya said. What luck! John clapped his hands with glee. We just came from Nine Pins and are headed to Aunt Beth's house for brunch. She sets a delicious table for every meal. You must join us! And you as well, Miss Charlotte. If there was an event she must join, brunch with Beshua Franklin was the last on Charlotte's list. With her huge home and retinue of admirers, that society woman was the most intimidating person in Philadelphia. We wouldn't want to impose, Mr. Priestley, Charlotte mumbled. We are not dressed for the occasion, and your Aunt Bethstra would have no foreknowledge of our attendance. Priya wilted. Perhaps they'll drop it. John chuckled. Nonsense! It's nothing to set two more places. There's plenty of room. Of that there was no doubt. The sprawling society hill manors and townhomes owned by the Franklins were a wonder to behold. Since brunch is a tad impulsion du moment, and you already had plans, then I beg you to join us for dinner. We're celebrating Ben's return. Aunt Beth will be delighted, as will I. John Priestley clearly intended to win this battle. How bold to invite ladies to another family's home for dinner, even if John and Ben were like brothers. Amir grinned. Ah, there it was. A quick wink from John towards Priya. The nail in the coffin. Her friend practically fell to her knees in the street. Priya turned to Charlotte with pleading eyes, wordlessly begging to have her whole year made by attending a macaroni affair such as dinner, dinner with the Franklin family. Dinner at a Franklin abode. Perhaps, Charlotte mused, she needed a bit of reprieve from her mundane existence. Perhaps it could be... Dare she consider it fun? There's no arguing with a gut-founded man when it comes to dinner. Do join us. Ben's sharp, curious gaze met hers once more. She sighed. Their infectious grins coaxed one from her lips this time.
Fine. So long as we do not tarry for long, father will wonder what misadventure Priya has gotten us into if we stay too late. Splendid! I shall send a carriage to collect you both at, say, five o'clock. So generous, this priestly man. He must have an interest in dear Priya. Amir stood watching his friend. Oh, thank you, Priya chirped. Five o'clock sounds lovely. Now come, Charlotte, we must truly go find you a new dress. See you this evening, gentlemen. Enjoy yourselves, Amir chuckled. Alas, I must excuse myself from any invitations this evening, as I have a date with an unparalleled beauty, and I promise to show her my hookah. He grinned. John Priestley raised his eyebrows, but said nothing. And with that, they were off again. After Priya dragged her in and out of every shop on the street, Charlotte finally chose a dress of beautiful chambray rose with intricate lace work detailing the neckline and sleeves. A sizable yet delicate bow adorned the bosom. She thought it too much, but Priya promised it looked divine. What an interesting turn this day had taken. Brunches, dinners, one small conversation, and now she would dine on Society Hill this very evening. Delectable smells wafted over from the market and her stomach groaned. Suddenly, she was famished. Charlotte turned to Priya. How about a quick visit to see Mr. Williams at the bake shop? His ratafia cakes are delicious. They made their way there, only to find a lengthy queue stretching down the street. Odd. Mr. Williams typically opened up earlier on weekend days to accommodate the crowds. Mrs. Dulot, dressed in the finest silks England could provide, stood at the end of the long queue. She was an old friend and long-time client of father's. Mr. Dulot owned not one, but two carriages, and they were often in need of wheelwright services. Charlotte forced another small smile, left it less enthused to strike up a conversation, but unwilling to reveal it. The windows of the bake shop were dark, as was Mr. Williams' neighboring residence. It was unlike him to stay closed all day. Men knocked on the front door. An idea sprang to Charlotte's mind. Has anyone gone around back to check on Mr. Williams at his home? Perhaps he is taken ill or suffers from a sharp head pain. She wouldn't dare accuse him of a hangover publicly, but given his history, it wouldn't be the wildest of reasons he wasn't around. Priest smirked and raised an eyebrow. <laughs> we know how he likes his rattle skulls. Mrs. Dulot glanced around. Not that I know of, dear. Everyone knows he doesn't like to be bothered. Perhaps we should send someone? No, 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 I'll go, Charlotte said. Best not to frighten the man. She turned to Priya. If you'd be so kind as to hold my book and the packages we picked up. Priya held out her hands. Of course, my darling. Charlotte passed the cute crowd and slipped beyond the garden gate to the baker's home. Mr. Williams was a single man and judging by the clutter of his yard, quite untidy. Perhaps those weekly sweets weren't a good idea after all. A glint of silver caught her eye among the litter clogging the path. It was a cufflink. She gasped. The shock of it paused her steps as she recognized the symbol from ten years ago. Crude lines in the shape of a goat with an inverted cross on its forehead. This meant something. For years, she had searched for similar markings, desperately seeking clues as to who had murdered her mother and why. She knew it didn't really burn, but with the silver in her hand, she might as well have been holding fire. Charlotte wrapped her fingers tightly around the cufflink, pressing the metal into her skin. It was coming home with her. A connection, even if small, was one step closer to finding out the truth behind her mother's demise. She rounded the corner and headed for the baker's back door when her steps faltered yet again. <gasps> Dear God, there was blood.
Thank you for tuning in for the second chapter of Crimson Cobblestones. I look forward to reading the third chapter for you next week. See you then.